Good morning, Chapel Hill. Welcome. If you do not have a Bible with you this morning, you're going to need one. So if you don't have one with you, just go ahead and put your hand up, and our ushers will give you a Bible that you can use to follow along as in with as we get into God's Word this morning. And if you are receiving one of those Bibles and you do not currently own a Bible of your own, please keep the one that you receive and uh, dig in with us this morning. Um, we're going to jump into the book of Romans, and so open your Bibles to the book of Romans. Uh, it's found on page 939 in the blue Bibles that are being handed out. Um, it's found on whatever page it's found on in your own Bible if you don't have one of those blue ones. Um, all right, let's just pause for a second and celebrate the fact that for this next week, we're going to have over 200 kids here And God is going to do amazing things. A miracle can happen now this week because God's Spirit is here and will be here throughout the week. And I'm very excited about what's going to happen. And I am very grateful for all of the work that has gone into getting this place ready for this week. Um, this This is a lot of fun. This is a lot of work. This has a lot of meaning to it, and I can't wait for these kids that are here, so many of them from outside this church, from the community, that are going to be here and hear the gospel of Jesus Christ preached. That is exciting to me. Um, I want you to, to think about this for just a second as you reflect on that and, and what's coming up, and as you look around you at what's been done here on the stage on the ceiling even, um, in the halls. Go downstairs before you leave and just walk through the corridors down there and look at all the the decorations and the different things that are going on. Um, Church, when you invest in this church, when you invest here, when you invest your time, as so many have this the past months getting ready for this, when you invest your talent, as so many are who are going to be leading things here and teaching and facilitating and leading music and and doing crafts with the kids and preparing snacks for the kids and all those things. When you invest those things, when you invest your treasure and we can do things like this, God is pleased. This is a a wonderful way to look at what you're investing in this church. Uh, We get to do things like this. And I thank you for that, Um, for all that you've given for this, for all the time that you've put in for this, um, for all that's going to happen in the week ahead. And so let's just pause before we get into the word this morning and lift up this week in prayer. Will you pray with me? Father, I, I love what you do here through our Vacation Bible School. I love the, the way you have grown this to the point of, of bursting at the seams um, and how we have numbers of kids um, just increasing every year. This thing gets bigger and bigger. And, and these kids are here for a reason. And we believe that you brought them here. That it's not just coincidence. It's not just a babysitting program. But this is an opportunity for your spirit to move in the lives of over 200 kids. And so, Father, I ask for your blessing on this week. I ask that you would provide every opportunity possible for the gospel to be shared, for your light to shine into these kids' lives. I pray for each one of the volunteers and staff who are going to be working here throughout the week, um, making all this happen. God, will you just fill them with your strength? Will you protect their energy? Will you help them to see the opportunities that they'll have all around them? Um, Give them everything that they need to serve you with everything they've got this week. Father, I pray just that you would protect this place this week. Um, I know that our enemy hates this kind of stuff. And so I just pray in Jesus' name that you would cover this place with your protection. 
and that we would see your truth, your light go into many, many hearts this week. Thank you for all those who have poured so much energy into getting this ready. Um, Bless them, Father. Help them to know that this is for an eternal purpose. We just ask that your spirit would be known here this week. We commit it to you. We ask for your will to be done in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Last week, we began our study of Romans chapter 8. We looked at Paul, who wrote this letter to the church in Rome. That's the book of Romans. We looked at who he was. We looked at the context in which this letter was written. We looked at how Paul came to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And today, we're going to continue looking at how Paul's encounter with Jesus changed his life forever and how it changes our lives forever. Last week, we talked about how Jesus took away Paul's eyesight for three days. And that has become a very significant thing for me in this study. Jesus blinded Paul. He forced Paul to look without having his sight to see things that he couldn't see with his eyes. He taught Paul in that moment that Paul was being called to see life with something different than just his eyesight. Paul was being transformed. He had spent his life learning about God's law, and it was good for him to do that. He learned a lot of things. Paul was a disciple of a specific rabbi. He committed himself to becoming like that rabbi in everything that he did. Paul was a very religious person. His actions were very important to him. He wanted to do his very best at living out the letter of God's law. He had that all before him. But obviously, Paul took his religious behavior too far. His devotion to the law turned him into a killer. His passion for his religion took him way outside the law into actions that reflected his lack of understanding of God's character, of God's love, of God's grace. Paul put his religion before people. Legalism had pushed aside love and grace. Things that that defined who God was, his religion had become void of the compassion that characterized the God that he claimed to serve. And then he met Jesus. Remarkably, Paul became an entirely different person. His devotion to Jesus replaced his devotion to the law. In fact, nothing at all in his life now was worth anything compared to Jesus and the value that Jesus had to him. Paul's goal in life had now become spreading the gospel message of Jesus Christ and of God's love. He wanted the world to experience what he had in meeting and being completely overwhelmed by Jesus Christ. And so Paul had a message that he couldn't contain. And he wrote this letter to the church in Rome to guide them, to instruct them, to to build them up. So I want to study a little bit more about this message overall this morning What was Paul saying in the chapters leading up to Romans chapter 8? We started looking at this last week, got partway into it. Let's look at a few more things this morning before we focus on on what this means to us. And so get Romans chapter 1 in front of you. We're going to just flip through it a little bit here. Um, If your Bible has section headings on it, read the headings as we go through. Get yourself into this journey that Paul's taking the church on through this letter. In chapter 1, Paul writes about God and God's view of sin. And we cannot ignore, just like Paul was saying to the church, we cannot ignore the holiness of God, the perfect nature of God. We have to weigh our sin against that and understand the seriousness of our sin and how we've disobeyed God. Sin is not a small thing to God. 
And Paul highlights that in Romans 1. Paul continues in chapter 2, looking at God's wrath towards sin and how the law, how God's law makes us aware of our sin and his holiness. In chapter 3, Paul sums up this reality by reminding us that every one of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. None of us have maintained a relationship with God through our actions. Even the best of us, the holiest of us, the most religious of us, the most knowledgeable of us, fall short of God's glory. Every single one of us. Paul teaches in chapter 3 that we're justified by God's grace as a gift. Paul had to write this letter in the context of what had happened to him personally. Paul was now free from the guilt that he brought on himself by allowing religion to become more valuable to him than God. Paul had now been declared acceptable by God through his faith and God's gift to him. His freedom and redemption had come through Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection, not through his actions, not through his actions. Now Paul's writing a letter to teach and encourage the faithful followers of Jesus in Rome, in the church in Rome. And the content of the letter comes directly from Paul's personal experience and the presence of God's spirit in him, which we're going to talk about a lot in this series. All right, so if you wanted to drop a name back then when Paul was writing this letter, there was a name that carried an enormous amount of weight and he dropped it. And the name was Abraham. The father of God's people. Abraham got it right. Whose name could possibly mean more to Jewish converts than Abraham. And he connected them to Abraham's name. Because Abraham had credibility without question. And Paul pointed out to the church that Abraham was justified through faith. Through faith in the covenant that God made with him. God's promise to Abraham came through faith. Romans 4 focused on this. In fact, Romans 1 to 4 make it very clear that we are made righteous through God's gift to us, not our performance for him. Always remember that. By grace we're saved through faith, not through our actions. Even Abraham was not justified through his actions. Right, look at chapter 5, verse 1. It says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Beautiful promise. Jesus dealt with our guilt. Jesus makes us clean and acceptable to God, just like he did for Paul. And how's this for a hopeful statement? Add verses 2 through 5 in Romans chapter 5. It says, Through him... We have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us, the Holy Spirit. This is the reason why we're going to study chapter 8 together. We need to know who the Holy Spirit is. 
We need to know what the Bible teaches about the Holy Spirit. We need to go beyond just knowing and be surrendered to his presence in our lives. We need to live by his power, by the power of God's spirit. We need to be constantly aware of the fact that the Holy Spirit is here He was Paul's reality. He was given to us. God gave us his spirit to live in us. It was the Holy Spirit who made Paul who he was. God breathed new life into Paul. God sent his spirit to live in Paul. The Holy Spirit was Paul's new life. Let's not ignore the reality of the Holy Spirit. Let's not live without God's with with God's spirit just being some some abstract, distant concept that we sort of have out there. All right, back to grace. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Therefore, verse 9, we are now saved from the wrath of God. Therefore, verse 12, death doesn't reign anymore. We've been raised back to life. Death came through the first man, through Adam and his sin. Grace came through the second man, through Jesus Christ. Therefore, verse 18, we're justified and we're alive. You sense a theme here? Therefore, therefore. It carries on in chapter 6. Grace and hope continue to expand. Verse 5 in chapter 6 says, For, and I'm making this a therefore, I can do that. Therefore, if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We died with Jesus Christ. We have been resurrected with Jesus Christ. Church, we identify with Christ through this. And so let me put in a little reminder here to you. Baptism is an act of obedience where we follow Jesus Christ's command to be baptized. We identify with Jesus and declare that identification with Christ and all that he's done for us. It's critical to our faith. And if you haven't been baptized, I just want to invite you to do that this summer. Get baptized. I would love to do that with you. We can do that here um, in this room in our baptistry here. We can go down to Schultz Lake and do it in the water down there. But I would love to baptize you. Come and talk to me or talk to somebody on staff or contact the office here if you want to be baptized this summer. I would love to do that. All right, verse 12. We're not slaves to sin anymore. Romans 6, 12. Let not sin... Therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. We are slaves now, church, to righteousness, to being the people that we were created to be and living the lives that we were created to live. That means as slaves, we are surrendered now to somebody else's authority. Not to sin, not to our own authority. We're surrendered to God's authority through the presence of his spirit In our lives. That's the way things are supposed to be. That is righteousness. Romans 7 talks about how we've been released from the law. And Paul has to ensure that this is very clear. But now he talks more about what replaces the law. Romans 7 verses 4 through 6. He writes, Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, 
in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members, in our flesh, to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that, he doesn't stop there and just say you've been released from it, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. There's a lot of replacement taking place here. Paul is really contrasting old and new, dead and alive. And church, we're going to learn everything that we can about the new way of the Spirit. Really want to focus on that. Paul learned it. We're going to learn it too. Paul learned a lot along the way, and it wasn't easy for him. He's very honest in Romans chapter 7. We looked at that last week as we closed. Paul was filled with God's Spirit. We admire that in all that we read in his letters and that we see in his life. God's Spirit was in him and working through him. But Paul still struggled with sin and the desires of his physical side. Paul was flesh and blood just like us. Paul lived in a sinful, fallen world just like we do. Paul knew what he wanted in his life, but he couldn't always seem to achieve what he wanted just like us. Paul had good intentions and a good heart, but his flesh led him to sin, just like ours does. Paul blew it sometimes, just like we do. Paul was not perfect, just like us. What Paul did that was so encouraging and inspiring was that he chose to live in the new way of the Spirit. Paul chose to no longer live in the way of the written code, the law. Paul was given new life. Paul was free from the authority of the sin that he struggled with. Paul had been raised from the dead. The law led him to death. Jesus Christ led him back to life. The law made him very much aware of his sin. But he couldn't follow the law perfectly. Even Paul couldn't follow it perfectly. None of us can. So he died to that way of life. And God gave him new life. And God offers us new life. Last week we looked at Romans 8 verse 1 as the entrance into our study. Paul made this incredible affirming statement about those who are in Christ Jesus. He said in Romans 8 1, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You ever feel condemned? I do. When I see myself falling short of the glory of God, I feel condemned. When, when I do things that I shouldn't do, when I am disobedient, sometimes I feel condemned. When, I, when I'm doing things or not doing things that I should be doing, when I'm not doing those things I know I should be doing, when I'm being flaky about all this, I feel condemned. When I compare, when I compare myself to others... I feel condemned. They're much better Christians than I am. They're better pastors than I am. They're better fathers than I am. They're better husbands than I am. Better witnesses. Better neighbors. We have a new um, interesting scenario before us in our neighborhood. Um, Our neighbors across the street are moving. And um, so we were over there the other day visiting um, with him and uh, um, Mark and talking to him about what's going on, where they're going. He's telling us the story of the, the house and how it, 
sold without even being listed and all this. And he was telling us who was moving in. And there was a little bit of a gauntlet thrown down there in front of me. Because he informed me that the lesbian couple from down the street was moving in across the street. And I know full well he was looking for my response. Because he's expecting, a lot of people are expecting us to be very judgmental. To not be thrilled about something like this. He doesn't know me. But in those situations, sometimes I feel like I'm not, the, I'm not as good a neighbor. And I feel condemned by that. How have they gotten this impression that that's how it's going to be? That I'm going to be judgmental and not loving I feel condemned by that. When I compare myself to Paul, I feel condemned by that. When I compared myself to Peter when we studied his writings, felt condemned by that. You feel condemned sometimes? I feel it. So let's dig into this last one a little bit here. I feel condemned when I compare myself to Paul. I feel like I'm not measuring up. I feel like I'm not nearly smart enough to be considered a disciple of Jesus Christ when I set myself up against Paul and his wisdom. I feel like I'm a joke of a leader in God's church compared to Paul. I feel condemned and I hate that feeling. And then Paul has the nerve to say in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So now I have to imitate him. And I feel condemned by that. I'm not doing a very good job of imitating Paul, let alone Christ. So here's where the condemnation comes from. And I want to do a little illustration for you. So Liam, my son, <laughs> come on up here. This is, having grown up as a pastor's kid, there's like vindication in getting to do stuff like this. <laughs> but my dad... My dad didn't, I don't remember a time when he had me come up on stage, so this is a whole new level of embarrassment. Um, he, would, he would call me out in my seat um, when I was goofing off with my, with my friends from the youth group and stuff. He had a tendency to all of a sudden slip it in the middle of his sermon and completely isolate me. It was terrible. Anyway, I've forgiven him. We moved on. I'm not taking it out on you. Um, so Liam is going to be my Paul for me this morning, Okay. And I want us to understand that this is, I think this is how we see Paul and how we compare ourselves to Paul and how this completely messes things up. We start with Saul. So come with me. Now, stay right there for a second. We have to set this up against the standard. And our standard is over here. It's the cross. That's Jesus. That's our standard. Okay? Now, when Paul was known as Saul, go that way. We have him, like, way over here, way far away from Jesus, right? He was persecuting followers of Jesus. He was a bad, bad... Go stand face the wall. <laughs> Paul was a bad, bad man. And compared to Paul, I could put myself somewhere in here, right? And I could look at Saul and go, I am not like that. Certainly, he didn't mean imitate that. Because he was a bad man, and I feel pretty good about myself being way over here, much closer to my standard, much closer to Jesus than he was. Well, then Saul met Jesus. We know what happened then. Come on, you're out of time out. <laughs> Through here, we're going to go all the way over here. 
My hand's cold, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> All the way through. Keep going. All the way. Paul met Jesus, and Paul was transformed right there. And Paul, you stay, I'll tell you when to go. And Paul became very much like Jesus. Paul imitated Jesus. Jesus became Paul's rabbi, and Paul got very close to Jesus. And I'm still over here. He's not over there anymore. Now he's over there. Now I'm seeing him over there, and I'm condemning myself for not being more like Paul, who was so close to Jesus. Now, you can go sit down. Here's the reality of this. This I love. This we've got to get. This we've got to stand on. This has to become the way we view life and ourselves. Our goal is not to get over here like Paul did. Our goal is to receive God's gift of salvation and to be placed in Christ. Not to be close, not to be just like, but to be in Christ. So that when God looks at us, he doesn't see someone who's getting close. He sees somebody that is in Jesus Christ. That's what I want for us. That's the, that's the thing that I want to guide us is we've got to get away from this idea that, that we will judge ourselves and others based on how close we get. Based on how much we act like Jesus. And get to the point where we can see that we are in Christ. That we're in Christ. That's where Romans 8 verse 1 comes in. I, I am in Christ. So there is no longer any condemnation for me. I don't need to feel condemned. I am in Christ. And I'm not going to compare myself to somebody else. Either way, I'm not going to compare myself as being not as good as someone who acts more like Jesus. And I'm not going to compare others to me and go, well, they don't act as much like Jesus as I do. Look at how short their hair is. I'm not doing that. (laughs) And this illustrates something that we need to understand about our new life in Christ. It is really easy for us to see with our eyes... If we are being more like Jesus in our actions or not. How closely are we following the rules? What does our public image look like? Do people see that we are religious? Am I good enough? Am I doing the right things and omitting the wrong things? Am I as religious as Paul was? That's stuff that we can measure because we can see it with our eyes and it's an easy trap to fall into. But Paul was taught by Jesus to stop seeing life with his eyes and start seeing life through faith. The new way of the Spirit is my prayer for us as a church in this series. How do we get away from living lives that are measured by religious behavior How do we move from seeing with our eyes to seeing by faith? How do we get close to embracing what Paul writes then in Romans 8 verse 2? 
where he says, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death is characterized by the things that we can see. It's all about our behavior. It's about our efforts and our ability to follow the law. The law of the spirit of life is very different. That's the new life that Jesus offers us. With every week in this study, let's invite God to to purge the law of sin and death from our lives and fill us with the law of the spirit of life. Paul invites us to imitate him as he imitated Jesus. Paul was walking a new road when he wrote this letter. He was walking in the Spirit. Let me make sure we're not looking for the wrong things here as we go. When Paul met Jesus, the change that took place in him was not merely a behavioral change. Paul did not become a better Christian in the way he behaved. We cannot allow ourselves to merely look at Paul with our physical eyes. We cannot allow ourselves to see only the physical. Like Paul, we need to be blinded by Jesus so that we stop depending on our sight and start depending on faith. When Paul invites us to imitate him, he's not inviting us to attempt to reach his religious standard. He's not inviting us to act like he does. Paul knew, even after becoming a faithful follower of Jesus, that there was still nothing good in his flesh. Paul directs us to pursue life in the spirit like he had, not life by the law. He points us to the new life that we've been given as a gift through God's grace. Let's do a bit of a checklist as we close this message this morning. I'm praying that this takes us in the direction of living by the spirit. When we look at Paul and his life, what do we see? If we see his behavior, we're not seeing what he wants us to see. If we see his ability to teach, we're not seeing what he wants us to see. If we see his leadership credentials, we're not seeing what he wants us to see. If we see his courage, we're not seeing what he wants us to see. If we see his wisdom, we're not seeing what he wants us to see. If we see his perseverance, we're not seeing what he wants us to see. If we see the results of his ministry, we're not seeing what he wants us to see. If we see any or all of those things, we're only seeing what we can see with our eyes. Paul invites us to imitate him in allowing God to put to death our human sight. He's inviting us to imitate him by living in the spirit, by walking by faith and not by sight. It's going to take us a while to grasp what it means to live by the spirit. I know that. We're not conquering it this morning. Paul's going to bring up this concept many times in Romans chapter 8. He's introducing the church in Rome and us to the new life that comes in Christ. Not so that we can become more religious people. So that we can walk and live in the spirit like Paul did. For Paul, spiritual sight came after the death of physical sight. For all of us, life in the spirit follows the death of life in the flesh. Living by faith comes at the cost of living by sight. This is where life in the Spirit begins. 
After all, God's Holy Spirit is, is not someone that we can see or touch. But the secret to what we see in Paul is the indwelling presence of God's Spirit. What needs to die in us? Are we measuring our religion based on our works, on our self, our will, our decisions, our identity, our dreams and desires, our perspective on God, on church, on life, our family, our home, our status? Paul stopped measuring with his sight. He started seeing life through the lens of faith. And he's inviting us to do the same. He's reminding us that we've been set free from the law, set free from the physical, set free from the temporal, set free from condemnation, set free from ourselves. He's inviting us to join him in living in the Spirit. So will we accept his invitation? Let's find out in this study of Romans 8. Let's join Paul in putting, putting to death ourselves and being raised back to life in God's spirit and living in the way of the spirit. Let's invite him to do that in us. I'm going to invite the ushers to come now and the worship team as well. We'll end our service worshiping together with a couple of songs. Carry on in that beautiful song that we sang together right before I came up here. Um, more of that as we end the service. Let's pray together as they come now. Father, I thank you from the bottom of my heart that you have invited us to do more than just live more religious lives. That you have invited us into a new life, that you have brought us back to life, to live in the way of your spirit, to live lives that are carried out because of your spirit in us. Thank you that you've invited us to to put to death the things of our flesh, not so that we can behave better and our actions will be more impressive, but so that the Spirit can take over more and more in our lives and so that we can see you do in us what you desire to do, live in and through us by your Spirit. And Father, I invite you to teach us what it means to live in the way of the Spirit to teach us what it means to be filled with your spirit, for many of us to teach us who we're talking about. So God, you come in this series and do your will in us. Put to death our physical sight. Help us to stop seeing only what we can see with our eyes. And to see what you can see by faith as your spirit comes to dwell in us, to fill us, and to work through us. That's our desire, Lord. We ask that you make it happen. Thank you, Father, that as we come to the end of our, our fiscal year today, we can celebrate all that you've done this year. We praise you for who you are. We praise you for the way that you've grown us. We praise you for the way that you've provided for us. 
We praise you for the many, many lives that have been changed. People that have come to know who you are. People who have encountered Jesus Christ. Thanks for being here with us. As we look ahead, we know that you're here. We know that you're faithful. We commit ourselves in this church to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.